HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Thanks for tuning in for this installment of our special series in collaboration with Great Lakes Now from Detroit Public Media. This episode is going to cover the importance of commercial and recreational fishing in the Great Lakes. We're going to provide an overview of the ins and outs of fishing the Great Lakes with a spotlight on Lake Superior in particular. I'll welcome Daniel Grooms, the business manager of the Red Cliff Fish Company. He'll share how Redcliffe is implementing a traditional indigenous approach to sustainable commercial fishing in Lake Superior. I'll also be welcoming Sharon Moen, the Food Fish Outreach Coordinator at the Wisconsin Sea Grant Program. She'll give listeners some background on both recreational and commercial fishing on Lake Superior. But first, I want to welcome Dennis Van Lanscoot. He is the president of Van Lanscoot and Sons Fish a multi-generational commercial fishing business which has been catching whitefish in Lake Superior for over 100 years. Dennis, thanks for being here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. You have a, a really storied history behind your business that I really think our listeners are going to enjoy. Uh, tell us the roots of the Van Landshut, uh fish business. Right, right. Well, thank you. And again, it's great to, it's great to share this story. We're very, very proud of our of our legacy. We're into our 110th year of family-owned business here in Munising, Michigan, which is right in the the center of the UP on the southern shore of Lake Superior. Uh, It all started back in uh, 1914 with my grandfather leaving Belgium and coming across, uh, like many of our grandparents did, uh, working his way through New York, uh, coming up through Buffalo and settling up in the Upper Peninsula and, and starting a fish business. Uh, he was 17 years old. He didn't know the language. Uh, you know, I can't imagine how many of our, our our grandparents, you know, fit this story, but many, many, many. And uh, he started a very humble fishing pit business, uh, married, he wrote letters to his uh to his friend back in back in Belgium, and she came over. They got married, had seven children, uh, and pretty much all of them fished. And they grew the business and grew the business. Which one of those was my father? Um, 
so uh, it's kind of a father and son legacy in a way. Uh, we're up to five generations now have wow. been involved in the company. Uh, again, a family-owned five-generation company, which is pretty wild. Um, uh, we fish uh, three ports in, in Lake Superior. Um, we fish in a town called Munising, Michigan, which is right noted for its pitched rocks and outdoors activity. And it's really a uh, it's really a uh, iconic uh, town for tourism. We get over 1.2, 1.3 million tourists in the summer. And okay. then, then we fish up in Houghton and then we Michigan and we fish the west side of the Keweenaw and we fish uh, a place called Bay Degree, uh, which is uh, we're right at the top of the Keweenaw. So we have three boats and uh, and uh, but uh, back to my grandfather. He yeah, very, um, you know, just uh, built it slow, built it slow. Um, quality, doing things right the first time. You know, the old school. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So, well, it sounds like the the old school paid off because uh, it, you know when. Uh, back, it sounds like, you know, 100 years ago, there are far more fisheries than there are today, but you're still standing. Well, we're one of, uh, I think, 11 um, state-licensed fishermen, one of two in Lake Superior, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, there was, uh, I think, six or 7,000 fishermen at one time, you know, that had license to fish. It's a very, very, very humble business. Um, the work is ungodly. Um, this morning, for example, our our crew, um, we're, we're almost three hours from Houghton by car. So we have a boat in each one of our ports. The guys mm-hmm. left at three in the morning and they're going to, uh, they're out right now and, uh, they're out lifting their nets. They, ha- they, they have to, uh, ride for three hours and then get in a boat and ride two more hours to the net. So it's five hours before anything happens. Uh, then they have to go lift their net nets. And then and uh, come in, reverse the process, and drive back to Munising to uh, pr- sometimes process fish um, mm-hmm. for local retail restaurants or our market. Um, and then we also ship fish to uh, uh, Detroit and, and various parts beyond, which I can get into a little bit later. But uh, yeah, it's they may work till six, seven, or eight tonight. And is that that's a typical day? It's a it's a day of the of the seven days a week around or literally seven days a week. Um, it's a day that we have two or three of a week. Mm-hmm. It takes a it takes a day to process all the fish and to you know the to to, to finalize them for the plate or for the chef, and uh, many steps have to take place. You know because we're we are actually uh, maybe a note if I can on how we catch our fish because we're yeah really- I. I was just going to ask that question, so please yeah, tell me. <laughs> yeah, so so what we use, uh, our family has gone through many technologies. My my family, uh, especially my father, was very inventive. He was always in the leading edge of, you know, how do we how do we build a better boat? How do we move faster on the water? How do we catch better fish? And and today we use something called a trap net. And mm-hmm. if if I could briefly describe it, it's it's a long. Uh, it's, it has a lead of about uh, a thousand feet, and if you can imagine, you're in 150 feet of water. The net is sitting on the bottom. It, it's it sits up off the bottom about 30 to 40 feet. So you have, you know, you have this base of the net on the bottom. You have you know 100 feet of water above it, and the whitefish uh, is a schoolie fish, and it um, 
it 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 sees that lead, which has a very big mesh. Uh, and what I'm saying there is about 12 inches. So if you have a trout mm-hmm. or a, a, a more aggressive fish, they're going to swim right through that that lead, no problem. But the whitefish swims up to the lead, follows it, and goes into a series of I'll, I'll call them tunnels. They work their way into one tunnel, which is one size, a little bigger. And then they work into another tunnel, and it's a little smaller. They finally work their way back into what we call the pot, which is a 40-foot square or rectangle. And uh, when we and this all this is all anchored very strategically and very tight with uh, big anchors and, and, and winches and things. So when it goes down at the bottom, it's it's uh, it's got a it's got a configuration to it that they can follow. And uh, when we lift that net up, um, it closes all the tunnels. So the fish are in the net, they are caught, and we dip them out. They're dipped out live. So um, the product is amazing because the fish was swimming 30 seconds ago. And it's iced heavily, and, uh, uh, and it's from the best lake in the world, Lake Superior. So. Well, I want to talk a little bit in more detail about Lake Superior in a minute, but I do want to understand uh, a little bit better about how you identify the places in the lake to place these nets. Yeah, you know, we've been <laughs> we've been at it for 110 years, so we, we kind of know where they live or like to go. And we can somewhat predict, somewhat, 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 you're still farming the sea. You know, you don't, uh, we're a farmer, but... Uh, uh, we don't know what's down there. So we like to look for certain uh, locations that we've caught fish in the past. Um, we look for certain depths of water. Uh, we look for thermoclines. We look for uh, 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 drop-offs. I'll call them drop-offs, where there might be a bank. We'll call it a bank, where it might go from 50 to 70 feet. You know, you might find fish mm-hmm. on that drop-off. Um, so those, and, and also because these... Uh, these trap nets are set in uh, with heavy, heavy anchors. We we need to find uh, some kind of sand or clay. We cannot set mm. our cannot set our nets on rock, otherwise the anchor would just slide. So right. So yeah, they're generally places that we've been before. We 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 move around. We let them rest. We'll leave them for s- several years. Sometimes we've left spots uh, alone for twenty years at a time. So um, uh, yeah. And, and does that does that help them preserve, uh, you know, the the supply, so to speak, so you're not overfishing yeah. and you're making it a more yeah. sustainable yeah. We, practice? Right. We can we can only take um, fish. We only can take one species of fish, and that's called a white fish, and that's a non-sport mm-hmm. fish. We cannot take lake trout and and or anything um, salmon or anything like that, which we don't have a tendency to see because of the way they uh, their DNA wants them to go through that net. That one with this big mesh, so mm-hmm. we, we don't normally see uh, too many lake trout occasionally, but uh, yeah, the fish only one species we can catch. It's really a non-sport uh, species. There's really not anyone that fishes sport-wise whitefish, and uh, we have a quota, so uh, we're, we're we're pretty restricted on where we can go and what we can do and the amount of nets we can set. And and all of that is is driven by decisions from the state of Michigan, right? That is correct. That is correct. Right. So and and when you and when you talk about sports fishing, you're talking about recreational fishing. People that are going to go out there on the boats, which which we are as well. Um, we're sport. We're deer hunters and all those hunters and fisher guys. So we respect both right. sides immensely. Um, there's a tremendous amount of uh, of love we have for the water and passion for the water and the lake. So, 
you know, that's where we um, make our living. And um, so we, no one cares more about these things than we do. So, of course, how much fish do you catch a year in pounds? Uh, in pounds, uh, you know, maybe about uh, 200,000. Or tons, however. however yeah, yeah 200,000 <laughs> pounds would be a, a, a good year. We've, you know, we've had it as low as 75,000. We've had it as low oh. as, um, you know, three, 400,000 through the years. Um, yeah, we, we believe that, uh, you know, fishing is cyclical and uh, uh, the lake, you know, the lake and the spawning, you know, the spawning season mm-hmm. in the fall. Um if you have the wrong weather or the uh, during the fall where the, there's a bad spawning season, you might have a, a period of time where you lose a crop of fish. So uh, mm-hmm. many, many factors. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and, and the fish, and if I said this, it has to be 17 inches long. So, oh, okay. yeah, we have to sort the fish out. Uh, you know, we can look at them and, <laughs> and tell them, you know, a four-pound fish is, you know, we know that that's a great fish and, and so on. So, um yeah. It, what makes a good What makes a good season? You kind of have indicated some things that might create a challenging season with weather, you know, and, and uh, the spawning season. What What makes a good season? Yeah, a good season. Um, you know, to be a fisherman, and, and I say this all the time, and uh, people laugh, but it's uh, to be a. We have a gentleman, my cousin, who's seventy two years old. He's fished all of his life. He's still fishing. I'm seventy one, still fishing. Um, we have a younger crew, of course, that uh, goes out. But to be a good fisherman, you have to really have a lot of skill sets. Number one, you have to be mm-hmm. mechanical because you're working with a lot of uh, engines and parts and and uh, things break. You know, things break. And yeah. and unfortunately, there's not the capital in, this, in these businesses where you can constantly reinvest. You know, um, it's you, you typically are working with some older gear for the most part. Um, you know, weather, weather has a tremendous, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you can have, uh, you can have storms that last for days and you're not able to do what you want to do. Um, you know, the fish, where are the fish going to be? Um, and what about currents and, uh, all these things that take place to set the net properly? Sometimes the net can get beat up, you know, can be tore up by logs or something. And, and because it's below the surface, you don't really know until you pull it out. And that's why mm-hmm. you didn't get a lot of fish there this year. But sure. uh, yeah, there's there's many many factors uh, breakdowns. You know, engines. We have diesels, and you know, uh, it's just a it's a it's a it's a it's a rugged business. And and we only fish you know for six six months a year. We're allowed to fish when um, when the ice goes out, which varies. You know, up here we had early spring this year, but uh, on October 31st we have to have all of our nets out. Uh, and because the whitefish spawn in November. Mm-hmm. So th- there is, there, it's an art and a science, it sounds like. Um, and, and grueling, and grueling work and grueling hours, you know, it's just, uh, there's, uh, it's a small business like any other small business that you're fighting uh, so many elements, regulatory, you know, um, sure. cash flow, you name it. You know, it's got all the ingredients. <laughs> um, well, when, when, when we share stories like this, I think it really does help, the, you know, the, the average person that's eating fish, uh, you know, at a restaurant or on their table or getting it from a store or, you know, from, from a fish market, uh, really res- respect the work that goes into that piece sure. of fish that they get, you know, that we enjoy for an hour, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and, but it, you know, it takes, 
generations to actually right. be able to to put a good product on the table and obviously you're doing that and but you have the help of lake superior which is uh, an incredible backdrop to, to fish off of and i know that you you cite lake superior as one of the you know great things about your product is coming from that specific lake what makes that lake so special and makes that lake great for fish you know and, and we feel honored you know to be able to 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 be stewards of the lake and uh, as many other people are and and maybe i, I want to close off maybe a comment about the feeding of the fish you know we probably we don't know but we have literally fed millions and millions of people quality quality high quality food and i'll get into the food in a minute but uh um when you know not everyone is a sportsman and not everyone can go out and buy a boat and not everyone can go out and and try to hook their own fish I mean, there's a small percentage of people that really, really do that. and yep. But a large number of people of Michigan and tourists that we see want to come down and have a special dinner of Lake Superior whitefish. So um, the product, I, I say that, and, uh, and I mean this with all sincerity, you know, Intel doesn't have this. Microsoft doesn't have this. Uh, there's no technology that has this. I mean, we have something in our catch that is really, um, uh, there's very, 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 very few people, maybe 11 of us left that, that are doing what we're doing that, um, you know, that, uh, IBM doesn't have it, you know? So in that respect, you're, you're very, very proud, um, to be doing what you're doing. And, uh, regarding the lake, the lake is magic. It, uh, it's the largest of the Great Lakes. It has 10% of the world's fresh water. All the other Great Lakes could fit inside of it. It's uh, 1,400 feet deep at spots. Um, you know, it runs through three states and two providences and so on and uh, on and on and on. Um, the clarity of it, because it's so deep and cold, um, we think our fish, and we were told, we've been told for years that, you know, Danny, your fish is just better than everybody else's fish. It just tastes better. So what we did in order to somewhat prove that, and, and I would welcome anyone to. Oh, I am glad you're going to tell this story because I was going to ask you about it if you didn't bring it up on your own. Yeah, yeah. So we took our fish and we sent it off to Midwest Laboratories in Omaha, Nebraska. And we wanted to know what was our what was in our fish. What can we you know, what, what are people eating? And I think it's important nowadays, critical that people understand where their food comes from and what it is and what's in it. You know, we, Absolutely. Um, we're not a fish farm. We cut wild caught, sustainable white fish. Wow. That's, you know, you, you can't go many places today and find something that says wild caught. You'll find in That's right. many countries, uh, Vietnam, you'll find, uh, you know, uh, South America countries, that have products, but they're all farm raised and every, every fish is, you know, a, a mirror of each other. They could be uh, injected with something to bring out the color, you know, all this type of stuff. So, um, but our fish are, you know, again, hand dipped out of this lake. And uh, what makes our fish better, I think is, is the cold, cold water. You know, um, uh, we have great, we don't have any that we're, you know, talking about or whatever. We don't have the foreign um, uh, snails and what is it, uh, the mussels. You know, we not, they, don't, they don't live up here. 
so the diet of these fish has been the same over all these years. Um, uh, I think Lake Michigan, I shouldn't be saying this, but I think it has 70 or 80 different uh, invasive species now. Um, and uh, koala mussels and, uh, you know, just, just goes yeah. on and on, on. And I'm kind of getting out, out of my leg here. But, uh, but uh, yeah, our, our, uh, our fish are, are just coming from the best water and the best feed and uh, in the coldest water. So when we did ship our fish into Midwest laboratories, we have reports that I'll be happy to share. Um, but uh, probably one of the keys, there's no carbs, you know, of course, and there's no sugars, uh, uh, things like that. But four ounces of our fish, of our whitefish, has 22 grams of protein. So, wow. yeah, so an amazing, uh, uh, and I'm sorry, I missed one thing too, uh, 100 calories. I mean, it doesn't really get much better than that. It's incredibly nutritious and low calorie. Yeah, we're, we think it's the, it's the superfood. Um, you know, you're not going to gain any weight. You're eating the best things. You're eating all the, and, and of course, heavy in, in the omegas as well, so. Of course, very very good for for brain health and oh, all kinds of other things. Yeah, yeah. Now, where where can folks find uh, more information about you, and and where can they get your fish? Give me some examples. Sure. Uh, well, we the website is uh, uh, v v is in Victor S is in Sam eyes and ink in the word fish all in one and it stands for Valanchute and Sons Incorporated. So v s i fish, and. Uh, uh, on that site, you're going to find, you know, just a lot about our history and who we are and what we do. But in about two weeks, we'll, we'll be uh, rolling out an online version so you could actually go online and uh, use a shopping cart and pick our fish, you know, up and we'll ship it to you directly. And just like every oh, wow. other online uh, e-commerce site. So uh, we're located uh, uh, in, in Munising, Michigan. So if you ever get to the UP, well, please stop. We have a we have a nice shop that has art. It has local artists. It has a lot of uh, um, UPisms to it. Um, Love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then the other half of that is our, our fish side of the business. So fish and art, right? That would that would make sense. But. Uh, um, so then we also have, there's one other uh, gentleman I'd just like to mention. We have an agreement uh, uh, with, we only provide one one supplier, our, our, our fish, if we have excess fish, and we don't always have them. But we ship them to uh, a company called Detroit Metro Seafood. Mm-hmm. James, Matt Wiseman is the president. And he is our distributor, and we have shipped, uh, and Matt is a, uh, he is a seafood you know, a, a fishmonger, and he basically uh, accumulates fish from around the world. He only sources our fish uh, from the Great Lakes, and because of the things we're talking about, and he sells to typically um, uh, high, higher end restaurants. He also ships our fish to Las Vegas and has shipped our fish to Santa Monica, California. So well, it sounds it sounds like you're literally from sea to shining sea yeah, from yeah. the Great Lakes. So we're 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 proud of that, you know, and, and he has all the air, you know, logistical things because he's getting all these fish in. So um yeah, we're we're we partner with Matt, great relationship, great great guy, um, believes in all the things that we believe. And um uh, other than that, we, we keep things very local and only deal with one outsource provider. Uh, so, um, and he handles everything from there. 
Well, we're going to have to keep our eye peeled for some Lake Superior whitefish coming from you uh, and the generations of talent that have been bringing this fish to our tables. Dennis uh, Van Lanscoot, thank you so much for joining us. Again, vsifish.com. For anyone that wants to check it out, Dennis, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's time for a quick break. But when we come back, I'll be chatting with Daniel Grooms, the business manager of the Red Cliff Fish Company. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome back to Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm your host, Capri Cafaro, and I'm now joined by Daniel Grooms, the business manager of the Red Cliff Fish Company. Daniel, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to be back. We are happy to have you back. The work that you do is very important, very special, and I think uh, you know a, a cornerstone to any kind of conversation that we're going to have about fishing in the Great Lakes. Um, so let's start there, the obvious place. Um, tell us first um, about uh, the Red Cliff Fish Company and uh, its role with the Lake Superior Chippewa. Sure. So the company was uh, originally... Um, constructed with the idea of presenting an equal opportunity for tribal fishermen here in Lake Superior, specifically to the Bayfield Apostle Islands area. And that just meaning, um, you know, fair, fair pricing across the board compared to state fishermen. Um, mm -hmm. The doors did open, uh, a new state of the facility, uh, 3,500 square feet. It did open in herring season of uh, 2020. So right in the midst of uh, COVID as well. Um, and, uh, they took off running. Um, and over the time I started in May of 21, we've kind of evolved and, and we are a great resource for the fishermen. Um, but we also have switched our gears and we're now more uh, into food sovereignty for providing mm -hmm. uh, fish for, um, not only the reservation, our tribal people here, uh, in Redcliffe, but we've also been able to participate in state programs where we now provide uh, whitefish and lake trout to uh, 11 reservations within the state of Wisconsin. So wow, that's, to, yeah. that's incredibly important. And uh, food sovereignty is something that I know our listeners are really interested in. And 
something that I think a lot of people are learning a lot, uh, a lot more about outside of the indigenous community and obviously within the indigenous communities all across the United States. Um, but sometimes, you know, we're, you know, we're talking about seed saving and things like that. Um, you know, when we have conversations about food sovereignty, but you know, the, the fact that you are involved in commercial fishing as a part of this conversation, uh, I think is, um, important and unique. And, and I want to ask about the, your particular practices, your fishing practices, um, and if they have any unique characteristics, uh, given the fact that, um, you know, you are an indigenous, um, group that is operating this commercial fishery. Yeah. So we, which is great about us is, um, currently, uh, we do work, uh, with about, uh, seven different, uh, red cliff tribal fishermen and then four, mm-hmm. Uh, bad river fishermen just across the the pond here a little bit um so we're able to work with them um which is great when it comes to harvesting the fish um but we do have a small trap net boat operation that's Mm -hmm. in the works so we're able to fish ourselves um but a lot of what's kind of interesting with us is it's a treaty protected right um so these fishermen um have been fishing these waters for generations so that's right. kind of the cool aspect to see is that uh, some of the guys that are fishing now are guys I went to school with, but their dad and their grandpa and their great grandpa have been fishing. And it's just kind of one of those cool um, keeping the traditions kind of alive. And we're fortunate enough to be part of the process on on, on the, the processing side, I should say. But we get to have those great relationships with them. They're part of the community as well. Yeah. Um, and it just, you know, and then we're able to give that to to um, our customers and to our, our community, our, our school down the road. So um, it's been really great on that whole aspect to keep the tradition alive um, and hopefully, you know, keep us here for as long as possible. Absolutely. Uh, how um, are those traditions highlighting uh, sustainability practices? when it comes to, you know, fishing the waters of, of Lake Superior? So we work very closely. Redcliffe does have a treaty natural resources department, which we are also a, a part of um, under their umbrella. Uh, we work very closely with the state, but uh, the fishermen are um, basically um, given a certain amount of tags that uh, allow them to fish a certain amount of pounds of whitefish or a length of net. And so that helps us to keep the, um, the populations very, very healthy. Um, mainly a herring. Herring's a big one for us, November 1st through mid-December. Um, we actually have a quota of only 400 and I believe 80,000 pounds. Uh, so that helps keep the population very, very healthy, uh, sure. keep it up, but not overfishing. So we work very closely with TNR and the state to make sure that um, you know we're, we're fishing um, uh, healthy, uh, but we're not do- doing any damage to our ecosystem. And of course, um, there's the aquaculture up the road that um, they raise fish uh, to re to uh, repopulate the, mm-hmm. so um, they do that throughout the year as well and then of course we have different seasons for fish right now we're in lake trout and whitefish only uh, we'll get burbit as a bycatch um, walleye we'll get that probably september and like i mentioned before um, herring is strictly november 1st through mid-december and mm-hmm. it is a it is a time i'll, I'll tell you that I can only imagine being on Lake Superior in November, uh, what that what that might actually look like and what that experience is like, because I could bet that that is um, some pretty challenging conditions to operate in. Oh, absolutely. Yep. A lot of the wind. Some guys use protection of the island. Some go a little bit further out. 
And then, of course, they're out there every single day. Wow. Wow. That's um, are there certain um, fisher fisher uh, fishermen or um, boats, particularly people that you work with that focus on some of these specific types of fish during different seasons. So some people are going to focus on walleye, some people are going to focus on whitefish, some people deal with the herring, or do people, you know, rotate throughout the year and are involved in all the seasons? Uh, I think when I started, we kind of had that. We had a couple guys in particular that only fished walleye. We had one guy who fished Cisco chubs, and that's all he mainly fished. Um, but for the majority, most of the guys will, you know, they just do the normal season. So uh, whitefish lake trout, um, walleye when it's in season, and then uh, they take about a two-week break in October, and then they hit herring season very, very hard. And then right after, they go right back to whitefish lake trout. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's continual until the ice moves in. Wow. So it really is a pretty um, relentless process. You know, you're just going to get out there day in and day out for, what, nine months out of the year? Almost. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, at least. Yep. And then, yeah, for the other three to yeah three months, we, we tend to slow down, which is kind of nice. We have a nice little time to breathe and uh, rework the floor and come up with you know, our, our SOPs and, and kind of mm-hmm. plan, plan for the year, I guess. Sure. Now, uh, have you noticed, I mean, you talked about ice cover. Have, have you noticed, um, you know, any changes as far as the seasons are concerned, um, you know, that may be related to erratic weather, climate change, um, where, you know, you are able to fish m- more than you would have maybe 20, 30 years ago um, because the ice cover isn't there as long. Yeah, I would say there's, it's a good and bad thing, I would say. Um, last winter, um, it was, we, we, the ice road was, uh, was established. So the ferry line uh, had stopped running. Um, this mm-hmm. past winter, um, unfortunately, um, the ice road never actually you know, solidified, so the ferry was able to run year-round. So it was challenging because in that aspect, um, fishermen, you know, it's too much ice for their boats to get out, right. but it's not enough for them to safely get to where they need to go to set their nets under the ice. Um, oh, wow. So it, it does impact us quite heavily, which it did this year uh, from January to about March. We have some guys who do tough it out, um, but other than that, it, it was tough. Whereas the year of 2021, uh, that winter, um, it was actually pretty nice. Um, a lot of the ice covers, uh, definitely colder temps, and we were able to, um, you know, get a lot more fish over the over the winter months. Um, and then coming back to this year, uh, the spring has been interesting. I believe not this last Monday, but the one before. We had about 16 inches of snow. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the weather that came after with the strong winds. Um, yeah, the guys just can't get out and fish. So it's, it's been a longer, um, you know, we're waiting for spring. And I think we're going to go right from winter right to summer. I think that's how it's going to be this year. Well, you know, you've just described three years of three totally different types of, you know, weather patterns. Have have you tried to adapt um, your fishing practices to try to anticipate um, some of this erratic uh, weather to be able to get out there and be ready to fish when there's an opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. So we stay very heavily in contact with the fishermen. Uh, those guys are ready to go out. They, again, they do go out pretty in rough waters in that November, December season. Um, but sometimes it's tough. Um, so what we do is try to plan ahead um, and basically keep a healthy stock of fish. Uh, we do flash freeze and, and vacuum pack our um, some fillets. Mm-hmm. So that, it gets us by on those slow times. Um, so that can help us get our restaurant orders or our programs, things like that, or for the community. 
in our small little store out front. Um, and that's pretty much all we can do um, until well, one, we need to get more staff. I mean, even if we get that trap net boat up, I mean, if the ice is there, there's not much we can really do. Right. Right. Sure. Um, you just mentioned, uh, you know, your customers, restaurants, programs, and you talked a, a bit about, you know, the food sovereignty aspect and being able to supply, you know, other tribes and, uh, you know, tribal programs internally. Whom, you know, who are you um, supplying and what kind of fish do um, the d- different organizations, entities, schools usually want? Yeah, so for us, um, we so we, we pride ourselves on wild caught fish, which is which is a great marketing aspect. For us, um, you know, food sovereignty. We want, of course, to take care of our community, uh, reservation. Of course, the other programs we're in for the other reservations. But uh, I grew up here. Um, I, I went to school in the, the in Bayfield. I graduated from Washburn. I live in Ashland. Uh, so us as a company treat the Bay Area here as kind of our community. Uh, right. These are the people that we, we live amongst, we're around, we, we uh, interact with. And so we, we try to service this main area um, for the most part. Um, of course, programs help us get a little bit further reach. Um, and then we just word of mouth, we've been able to kind of uh, extend our reach to Minneapolis, uh, to Duluth, Minnesota, wow. where uh, Madison, I made a couple of deliveries down there and um, over in uh, Michigan as well. So we're able to do a little bit of that. Um, and then even as far as uh, we have some some uh, folks in Canada uh, so that we, we do some business with. So uh, it's been great and there's only room for more growth. Um, we're working on our e-commerce now. So that could potentially open us up to the entire United States, which would be wonderful. Wow. That would be that would be absolutely incredible if you had that large of, of a of a marketplace. But it, you know, is there enough fish to sustain such a large market? So that's yeah, that's where it gets a challenging. That's why it's uh, very crucial for us to get set up with our trap net board operations so we can manage the fish. Um, it's it's a it's a double edged sword working with the fishermen. Um, you know, all these guys. There's three other facilities um, in the area. And so we have direct competition and they're very, you know, price drives, you know, the train there. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So we kind of have to and play can, can I just ask, are those other operations in the region, are they uh, tribal run or are they, um, you know, state licensed commercial fisheries? There's uh, state licensed commercial fisheries. As far as I know, um, they don't maybe have a staff that work directly for them that are um, that they have their own licenses. Uh, they might they might buy it from tribal fishermen or other state guys as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they might not actively fish themselves, but yeah. So yeah, I we see. stay in pretty good competition with them, and a lot of them have been pretty well established. I mean, some since the '60s, some a little bit later, but we're on year three, so we're still still right. new and young. But uh, our presence here has you know benefited the fishermen, and we hope to keep it that way. Yeah. But again, it's you got to be on top of the fishermen. They're not used to having so much um, options or um, communication. And sure. so it's been uh, an interesting, but we're able to build those relationships now. I've been here on my second year, I do believe. Um, so I'm here to stay. So it's been easier to have a conversation with those guys, um, you know, as the years have gone on. 
Absolutely. But building that rapport is important and you have to, you know, it's a two way street. They have to rely on you to get their product to market and you got to rely on them to get that product to begin with. So, um, you know, it, it definitely is going to be a partnership that, you know, is going to have to, you know, be nurtured and sustained. Um, I, I do want to ask a little bit more uh, just about the, the actual, um, you know, the process of processing fish. Mm-hmm. Um, what, Um, Do you have any specific, maybe special practices integrated into your fish processing that might be unique and different from, um, you know, some of your competitors? Um, I would say, I mean, we have, we're, our benefit is being a brand new building. So a lot of the stuff is brand new, state of the art. We have a lot of open space compared to some of the other places. Mm -hmm. Um, So really though, other than that, not so much. I would say the only other um, really cool aspect that we do is um, all of our our fish waste Um, Mm -hmm. we're able to compost we're actually doing about 6500 pounds right now wow composting at the local farm that's just up the road Uh, so they use that for their fertilizer which they use for the entire summer for their their farm Um, and those programs benefit the community as well sure that's kind of something unique that we have whereas others they usually will work with a different company or they stay they, um, at the pace I want to take their waste. So it kind of goes back in hand. Um, a lot of stuff with the Native American tradition and, and, and belief system is everything is circular. Everything goes, um, there's, there's um, birth, there's life, there's death, um, and it continues on um, some way or shape or form. So we're able to harvest the fish, process it, give it back to the, the earth, and, um, and then it gets new life in, in plants or vegetables and things like that. So it's pretty unique and we enjoy that and, and they love it up there. I can imagine. I mean, you've just, you know, pointed out a roadmap for sustainability and, you know, being um, good stewards of the land, of the water um, and, um, you know, indigenous communities such as, as yours, I think can be real um real guides for, um, for other businesses that are looking to integrate sustainable practices, uh, in their, in their work, you know, agriculture, um, you know, aquaculture, whatever it may be because of that, that cultural commitment to that cycle of life and, you know, not going to waste and doing things like composting to, bring uh bring in new life at a new harvest and making sure that you know you're not overfishing all of these things that we've discussed um i you know i think are um are practices that are becoming more and more um adapted by a, a greater uh variety of of individuals and and obviously indigenous practices uh, have been and continue to lead the way in sustainability. So, um, Daniel, thank you for for joining Eat Your Heartland Out again. Uh, mm-hmm. We are great, and it's it's great to see how much things have grown just in you know the short two years since uh, you were on in one of my first episodes. Uh, and we wish you and Red Cliff Fish Company and everyone there. Uh, the best of luck as you continue to grow the operation and feed so many people with incredible wild fish from the Great Lakes. Oh, we really appreciate it. We love being here. And if you're ever in the neighborhood, you know, stop on in. We we do tours. I do them quite a bit. So you get to see, you know, everything from it coming in to the process and right to um, a package right for you to take home and, and cook up. So I um, love it. Now, yeah. since you've mentioned it, then tell tell our listeners where they might be able to find out if they wanted to come do a tour. 
Right, so we're located right off of Highway 13, right in the middle of Red Cliff. Uh, we're at uh, 37525 Dock Road. We have a lovely view of Basswood Island and the, the dock where commercial fishermen boats are parked. Um, so yeah, stop on in. We have a small retail store where we sell smoked and fresh fish as well as frozen. Um, and this year's new, we're adding value added items. So we will in the fall have more dips, we'll have pickled herring, we'll have uh, fish cakes among other things and potentially um, cooking some fish and chips and things like that for, oh, wow. for lunch for folks. So we're we're in the works. It's just, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're plugging away just, just fine. But yeah, feel free to stop in and we'll be happy to, to take care of you. Sounds good. Well, you know, I hope next time I get up to Wisconsin, which will actually be later this summer, that I'll be able to swing on through uh, and definitely hope that our listeners will be able to come in as well. We have a lot of uh, a lot of listeners and a lot of viewers for Great Lakes now, the television show um, in Wisconsin, so as well as across the Great Lakes region. Dan, thank you so much again, and uh, best of luck. All right, thank you so much, and uh, yeah, we'll see you out here. We got to pause for another quick break, but when we come back, I will be joined by Sharon Moen, the Food Fish Outreach Coordinator at the Wisconsin Sea Grant Program. You're listening to Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm your host, Capri Cafaro, and now I'm joined by Sharon Moen, the Food Fish Outreach Coordinator at the Wisconsin Sea Grant Program. Sharon, uh, we're happy to have you. Thanks. I'm excited to be here today. There's lots to say about the subject. <laughs> well, there is a lot to say. The Great Lakes are great for those of us who are from this region. Um, lake Erie, as I often say, is my lake, uh, being from Ohio. Um, but the lakes are all uh, pretty different. You're there in Wisconsin, um, and you're with the Sea Grant. So I want to start there. Not everyone is necessarily familiar with what a Sea Grant program does. What do you do there at Wisconsin Sea Grant, and particularly in your role as Food Fish Outreach Coordinator? Right. So the Sea Grant concept was modeled after the land-grant institutions where the federal government partnered with universities to make America great in agriculture um, and uh, military pursuits and engineering. And so then about a hundred years later, the Sea Grant program started up and the objective is to help the U.S. become good at managing coastal communities for um, economic and environmental success. And so it's a partnership that puts research, outreach, and education into managing our coastal environments. And so my particular job with fish would be to help the commercial fishing industry and also Wisconsin's um, fish farmers become more capable of sustaining and, and creating products for consumers that are healthy and sustainable and gives us some um, food security here in the United States. Mm -hmm. So give me some examples on how you facilitate that in your job. Yeah. So I maintain the Eat Wisconsin Fish website, which has recipes and information about who's growing fish and where and who's harvesting fish and where. And then um, I'm also working internationally with the row industry because some of our fishers mm. are 
um, harvesting Cisco, particularly out of Lake Superior, that uh, their main point of sale is over in Scandinavia. And uh, they in uh, European countries are very interested in sustainability issues. So trying to help them tell the sustainable fishing story. Oh, wow. I, and I will say I would have never necessarily thought Roe and Lake Superior. I've learned something new there, just there. And um, it's great to see that the um, the Great Lakes, pun intended, uh, <laughs> are leaders in sustainability to the point where, you know, there are, uh, you know, uh, individuals in other countries and the global community that are looking to um, our region to see how, um, you know, uh, they can model sustainable practices. I wouldn't say they're doing that exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Capri. Um, yeah. So the, problem is the World Wildlife Federation has red listed some of our row and, and I'm like, what? We are some of the, the Great Lakes are some of the most responsibly managed, intensively managed um, sustainable fishing that happens in the world. But it was because it's because it's so complex here in the Great Lakes. The fabric, mm, like, sure. like the fabric of management, is awkward. And then, as you kind of introduced, like all the Great Lakes lakes are not created equal. Um, so. I live up here on Lake Superior, and the joke here is that there's only one great lake. All the rest are holding ponds because they're all so different. <laughs> and so, the, yeah, some of the eco. What makes what? Yeah, what makes them so different? I mean, you know, I think that people just, particularly on the coast, you know, uh, sometimes the Great Lakes get overlooked, and you know, they're not an ocean. They're not the Gulf of Mexico. What are they? Um, again, I come from a, the smallest one, Lake Erie. Um, but I think that even for those of us that, that live amongst the Great Lakes are, don't necessarily recognize how different they are. Why? What makes them so different? Well, a lot of it is location, 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 but also depth. And so Lake Superior is ginormous and also very deep compared to the other Great Lakes. Mm. And so, mm. you know, if you spread Lake Superior out over north and south america it would you'd be waiting around in a foot of water it has a lot of water in lake superior and wow yeah so it's just deep and big like the surface area is huge and it's also deep lake michigan and huron are at the same sea level so they kind of act similarly and then you drop mm -hmm. again through the canals and you get to Erie and Ontario, which are a lot shallower and warmer be because mm -hmm. they're shallow. And so in some respects, they're just like rivers out to the Atlantic Ocean. They mm -hmm. haven't spread out like a point of spread. So you go from a really cold, deep environment to a warmer, flatter, shallower environment. And so your fisheries change as you go. Right. How, how is the food, how is the, the fish different? What is the variety uh, of, of fish in Lake Superior if one were, you know, fishing uh, commercially, recreationally? And I know that there are all kinds of intricacies on permits and who can fish what and all those type of things, but just come from a basic level, 
what kind of fish are, you know, available to eat in Lake Superior? Um, I know, again, down here we have fish, we have walleye and perch in, in, in Lake Erie, um, but I would assume that there are, you know, different species up in uh, Lake Superior. Oh, you are right in assuming that because up here it's like Lake Superior is, according to one scientist, a distilled water ice bath. So we don't have a, of a big variety of species that are commercially or recreationally caught. And so lake trout are, are sought after and whitefish and lake white, lake white fish and salmon have been introduced. And so some people go after the salmon around the Pasa islands, but there's not a big recreational fishery compared to what you see in Erie, like Erie has everything, <laughs> but up here there it's, it's rather limited, but we still have a bunch of charters that go out. And so I went out last summer, um, out of our Royal and our target was Lake Trap and it was really a lot of fun. That's, that's great. So there still is, you know, some, some charters that go out there than in, in Lake Superior. Not compared to what you're doing out there in Erie, but yeah, there is a a, a robust charter fishing um, industry here in Lake Superior. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I know from from a, a little bit of the research that I've done that uh, you know the fishing scene, so to speak, isn't just about. Lake Superior, but those rivers that lead into Lake Superior are particularly popular with those that uh, like to fly fish. Is that right? That is true. We have some amazing um, rivers for steelhead, and that's steelhead is a particular type of fishing too. And then there's fly fishing that happens for the brook trout and the and so and and other trouts, but. Yeah, so the history of our rivers goes back to, you know, the 1800s when Europeans discovered, wow, there's like all these great fish here. Like the Native Americans already knew that. But um, one of the ones I I guess I would like to call out is the Brule River. Um, And that was made famous as the River of Presidents because five U.S. presidents visited there and fished there, um, starting with uh, Ulysses S. S. Grant in the 1870s. Mm -hmm. What made it so popular with these five presidents? Well, they're the good fishing, and there was also coaster brook trout running at that time. So coaster brook trout are like a river, a lake river run form of brook trout they grow huge in Lake Superior and then mm-hmm. they they run up the rivers to spawn and it's it, they're they're just exceptional because they're big and it's also a, a beautiful wild environment especially in the 1870s when mm-hmm. you know the Midwest was just getting discovered and it was if you wanted to be adventurous well you go to Lake Superior. And I'm just going to add in here as a trivia, as a trivia question uh, for your listeners is like, so pe- some people were coming for fish, but also around these, this time, p- 
people were coming to Lake Superior to find diatoms because diatom collecting, and these are small phytoplankton that create um, glass shells around themselves. And people would come to collect the glass shells because microscopes were just becoming publicly available. And so Lake Superior was like a tourism hotspot for fish and diatoms. Wow. What, so what happened to the diatoms? Did they get all you know collected up and they're, they are no longer? No, no, there's still tons of diatoms, but um, that was a fad <laughs> that passed. But fishing is not a fad that passed. Fishing still happens. And so, you know, I say uh, U.S. Grant came here, but then Grover Cleveland came. And then after that, President Calvin Coolidge um, established a home on Cedar Island on the Brule, and he called it this White House in Superior. And from there, like he invited Herbert Hoover and Dwight Eisenhower to come out too. So, you know, all these presidents and and politicians became like, or that's why the Brule is called the River of Presidents because there's so many who visited here and fished here. That's I, that is I think trivia in and of itself. I don't think you know a lot of people outside of the region are familiar with that, and it's such a neat uh, part of the history for the Great Lakes, for Lake Superior in particular. Um, and you know, it sounds like the coaster brook trout were a big draw, um, but they went away, right? Those that the coaster brook trout, there was a situation where um, essentially they disappeared, right? Correct. Yeah. So they were overfished and then there were some um, changes to the habitat through logging and then also uh, damming of rivers. But, you know, it was, what's wonderful about Lake Superior in particular is that fisheries management has been such that we've been able to restore a lot of our fisheries. Um, thanks to sea lamprey control, for one, that's super important. But then also with fish, fishing regulations, so where there were once like almost no coaster brook trout anymore, we're starting to see them again, especially in, along the north shore of Minnesota. And that's oh, wow. just because of some of their fishing regulations. So coasters... Um, are not a a strain of brook trout. What happens is some of the brook trout in river, this is what it seems uh, from the research, is that some of the brook trout in these rivers find their way into Lake Superior and just grow ginormous and then they come back. And so if you just leave mm-hmm. them alone, we can get coasters back into some of our our rivers. And I was lug- talking about my, my fishing trip at Isle Royale. So I went charter fishing, caught lake trout, but I also took a canoe out and a fly rod, and I was able to catch some coaster brook trout on Isle Royal. And that's pretty remarkable. That is. Yeah. That's fantastic. Now, one one final question on this, because you are food fish uh, in your in your title. Um, and you also said so you, you manage the, uh, I think, the Eat Wisconsin Fish website. Where would you suggest, I mean, people can go and eat if they wanted to get brook trout, um, for example, is there, you know, do, or, uh, restaurants that actually serve this, or do you have to go catch it yourself? 
I think, yeah, brook trout, you're going to have to catch it yourself um, unless you go. No, I'm, I'm like, there's some like fee fishing fish farms that raise brook trout, but again, you have to catch it yourself. So brook trout are not mm-hmm. going to be a fish that you can find in the market. You can find right. rainbow trout and we have a, a nice variety of rainbow trout farms in Wisconsin. But yeah, for mm-hmm. for a species like brook trout, that would be catch it yourself. Now, if you're talking about mm-hmm. lake trout, so you know, I live here in Duluth, Minnesota, um, and New Scenic Cafe um, carries fresh meals of lake trout. So I'd go there. That's- <laughs> That's, that's good to know. No, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, it's, you know, not necessarily commercial for one place or another, but just so people know that, you know, I I think sometimes the Great Lakes are a bit of a mystery and, you know, people kind of know it. Oh, okay. We're going to go out maybe, you know, on a fishing charter. Um, Yeah. There's this concept that there are commercial fisheries, you know, that, that do fish the Great Lakes, whichever Great Lake that, you know, you might be familiar with, but, you know, where does it go, right? And, you know, sometimes it's wholesale and it goes and, you know, uh, you can get it at the store, you can, you know, catch it yourself, but it's good to know that there are places that actually do uh, keep it local and source their fish from the Great Lakes and actually serve it directly to their customers in the restaurants. So we'll have to keep an eye out for that. Um, if anyone is in Duluth or visiting Duluth, uh, keep an eye out there for lake trout on your plate. And uh, Sharon, we've learned a lot uh, from you and uh, about just um, a number of things about the Great Lakes and certainly about Lake Superior um, and its rivers in particular. So, um, and so much good trivia. So thank you, Sharon, for, for sharing your knowledge with us. Oh, you're welcome. And I, can I just put a pitch out there for Lake Whitefish? Please. Um, because, Please. Yeah. So the commercial fisheries of of Wisconsin in particular and, and um, the Red Cliff and Bad River tribes focuses on Lake Whitefish. And they are low on the food chain. So good for you. Heart healthy. should eat them a lot. Um, and in restaurants in Bayfield, pretty much they always like pretty much any restaurant I can think of serves like whitefish because it's just so abundant and it's sustainably managed and harvested. Yeah, if you can grab a lake whitefish meal, do so. And I can, I know where I live, I can buy it in the supermarket. Well, uh, that's definitely good to know. <laughs> Yeah. And then don't forget the smoked fish. So there's a, our fisheries also do a great job of smoking fish and that you can also buy that in the supermarket, um, caught right out of, um, Port Wing and Bayfield. I know smoked fish is very popular in parts of uh, the upper Midwest, Minnesota in particular. So I bet, I bet that that's, um, you know, definitely a sought after item in, in uh, a number of communities uh, up in that area. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Red Cliff. We're going to be speaking to uh, some of the folks from uh, the tribes there that are engaged in sustainable fishing practices, commercial fishing uh, of whitefish. So that's a great segue into our next guest. So Sharon, thank you again for joining the program. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I hope you've enjoyed this special episode of Eat Your Heartland Out in collaboration with Great Lakes Now from Detroit Public Media. 
Next week is our fifth and final episode in this special series. And of course, we're going to be talking about how fish is food. So keep an eye out next Thursday for the last episode in this special series on GreatLakesNow.org, HeritageRadioNetwork.org, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.